0: Tonight, we would like to continue the theme of family, children, and parents. The subject of the home and family is one that is dear to me. I think I have more books in my study at home on this subject than any other, one particular subject. I believe with all my heart, that although there's the Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, where we're to go into all the world and to teach and to preach and to share the gospel, there's another Great Commission in Scripture. Open your Bibles to Psalm 78. This is not going to be our text tonight, but I do want to use it as a springboard for the message. I believe that God's design and plan is for the family that faith in God and in in, in Jesus be passed from one generation to the next generation. That is one of the ways that God wants to effectively build his kingdom. Psalm 78 says, just read the first Is it maybe eight verses? Seven, eight verses. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to them the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, there you have generation number one, that they should make them known unto their children, generation number two, that the children to come might know them, even the children, generation number three, which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, generation number four, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast in them. psalmist clearly teaches it's to be passed from generation to generation. And he mentions four generations here, specifically. In my studies in the last few years, someone has suggested that in the evangelical circles, probably only 10%, I think Ken Ham says 10%, others would say 15%, of those children growing up in these evangelical circles, are retained and continue faithfully in the kingdom of God and in the church. That's sad. That is sad. May God help us as parents. And I I want to say here at the onset, before we go any further, that I know that God has created each one of us, every individual child, with power of choice and volition. And regardless of, I I know of homes where there have been godly parents who have faithfully uh, taught their children, they've made choices, decisions to reject God. And if there's someone here like that tonight, my heart goes out to you. And I I do not want this message tonight to be a discouragement to anyone in any way. But rather, I would like to encourage us, and especially young parents. I'm blessed to see young parents here with children. I just want to encourage you to continue to teach, to instruct, to instill by the grace of God, seed that can sprout and bring forth fruit someday. It's part of God's plan that his kingdom be enlarged through family and from generation to generation. Hence the title of the message tonight. Homes passing faith in God to the next generation. Homes passing on faith to the next generation. Let's turn for a text to Jeremiah chapter 35. Now, I suppose you're wondering why would you turn to this chapter for a message on the home. There are many, many other scriptures we could look at. But I'd like to just briefly draw from some thoughts from the book of Jeremiah one of the things I've discovered about Scripture that is so beautiful is that not only does it instruct us and teach us how we ought to live, but it gives to us examples of men and women who actually lived such lives. And this is one of those beautiful examples, the example of the Rechabites. I'm just going to be reading parts of this chapter. I don't want to read uh, the entire chapter for sake of time. Let's just read the first two verses here. It says in Jeremiah 35, And the word which came into Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go into the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Let's go down to verse 5. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. Neither shall ye build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, In all that he had charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed, and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come and let us go, in, go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwelt at Jerusalem. Now let's go to verse 18. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jehonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jehonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. I believe that verse 19 is the capstone or is the peak of this text, where there's a promise given that there would be someone that would stand of the Rechabites before him forever. What a promise. What a blessing to have such a promise given to a people. Faithfulness continues for generations and generations and if I'm not mistaken, and we'll look at this a bit more in depth, but this is about this takes place about 275 to 300 years after Jehonadab gave this commandment to his family. They have been faithful for these 275 to 300 years. Now, if 30 years or 25 to 30 years is a generation, we're talking about at least 10 or 12 generations of faithfulness continued. Up to this time of Jeremiah chapter 35. I would consider myself rich. I would consider myself blessed. If the Lord carries another 300 years. If if my posterity would be faithful to God. To that point. Now that would be rich. That would be a blessing. If that were the case. There shall not want a stand before me for uh, shall not want a man to stand before me forever, according to history, and I'm only going by what I have read. I cannot uh, I'm prove this from scripture, but according to history, you could still find Rechabites in the Middle East today. It is believed that the Rechabite women, girls, married into the Levitical family. And they still could be found today in some of the, the smaller Middle East countries. What a blessing. What a blessing. Someone gave me a book a number of years ago entitled The Wisdom of Jehanadab." And I think that book has been a tremendous inspiration to me. It has caused me to do some study of this man, Jehanadab and the Rechabites homes passing on faith in God. We're passing on faith to the next, next generation. Now let's go back to the beginning of this story. And, and what is a bit difficult about this story is that, that, that we know so very little about it. Just bits and pieces here. And so we're going to have to kind of fit the pieces of the puzzle into the puzzle. So let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 10 where well, we first read about Jehonadab and the Rechabites. 2 Kings and chapter 10. The setting here is where Ahab, Jehu, had just become king, just been anointed king under the direction of Elisha the prophet, Ahab has been slain, Jezebel has been destroyed, and Jehu is cleansing Israel, Judah of Baal worship. So let's begin, and again, I'm just kind of slicing into this, verse 12 of chapter 10, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 12. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria, and and he was at the shearing house in the way. Jehu met the brethren of Ahazah, ah, the king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahijah, And we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house. Even two and forty men, neither left he any of them. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right, as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him in the chariot. And he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So he went with him, so, he had, so they made him ride in his chariot, And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord which he spake to Elijah. Maybe I won't read the next several verses, but the next number of verses simply talk about the cleansing of Baal worship, getting rid of Baal worship. Jehu invites all the prophets of Baal to come to Baal's temple. And he, he made a proclamation that they were all together there. And when they were all gathered, they were drinking, and they were somewhat drunk. And then he asked, he has a, a, a group of men to go in and to slay all these prophets of Baal, these Baal worshippers, and, and to eradicate Baal. And Jehonadab was one of those men that he... He asked to assist him in the destruction of these Baal worshippers. Maybe we should start reading again in verse 25. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard at the captains of the captains, Go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword. And the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images of the house of Baal and burned them. And they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draught house unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. How From the sins of Jer- 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 Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son which made, excuse me, from Jeroboam, from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Jehu says, I want to show you my zeal for the Lord. Now we find that Jehu and Jehonadab met each other close to the shearing house. As we read there in in, in chapter here in chapter ten, it says that Jehu was close to the shearing house. Now, Jehonadab. I don't know what stage in life he was at this point. But there's a good possibility that Jehonadab was a young, daddy. Had a family. And was a shepherd. He was a shepherd, and there's a good possibility that he had brought his sheep close to Samaria, this would have been close to Samaria, capital city, to shear his sheep. That was the custom of the day, that the, the shepherds would, would bring their sheep close to Samaria, there they would be sheared, and then they would take their wool to Samaria to, to market it. And so there's a good possibility that that's where Jehonadab was. And according to some of what we read here, there's a good possibility that Jehonadab and Jehu knew each other. Because he says, he says, is your heart, in verse 15, is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? In other words, are our hearts still together? Are we one? Now, there's a good possibility, and again, I'm only speculating here, but but there's a good possibility that, that, that there had been a friendship before this time, that maybe these men were peers. Maybe they were about the same age. And so maybe they even talked about the day and the time When the prophet Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and there was a tremendous victory won. That was just about 20 or 22 years before this took place. So if they'd have been young lads about 10, 12 years of age, they may have have talked about this. They may have seen that and probably didn't see it, may have, I don't know. But I'm sure they would have heard about it. Tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. Maybe they, 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 as shepherd boys, they, they knew about the drought that has taken place. For three years, three years and six months, it hadn't rained. And so they were taking their sheep to various places to try to find water because it was very dry. Is thy heart as my heart is? Are we still, still together? And if it is, I give you my hand. And you come up on this chariot, and you go with me to Samaria. He goes with Jehonadab or with Jehu to Samaria. And there's a tremendous cleansing of Baal and Baal worship. But you see, there's still a problem. The problem is that this king did not go all the way with God. Yes. He destroyed Baal worship. But verse 29 says, "Howbeit, or however, from the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from Africa. Do you suppose, and again, we're only speculating a bit here, but do you suppose that Jonadab thought If I go with Jehu to Samaria, I'll take my family there and we will make a difference in the political realm of Israel. We'll make a difference. But do you suppose as well that Jeonadab sensed a bit of discouragement when he discovered that this king was not going to go all the way with God. Now, we must understand that the Rechabites, they were, as it says in Jeremiah 35, that they were strangers. Now, they were not of the seed of Sarah, so they were not of uh, of Isaac. They were from Keturah, if I'm not mistaken. But their father was Abraham, but their mother was Keturah. So they were strangers in the land. And they were shepherds. I'm only supposing now, but I'm wondering, did this young father say, I must go back home, back to my sheep, back to my family. There is where I will make a difference. So he goes back to the fields, back to the fields as a shepherd with his family, with his sons. He goes back to his family with a vision, with a vision. What is vision? What is a vision? Now, the Bible tells us that if a people have no vision, they perish. And I suppose there could be a number of different definitions tonight here for vision. I'd like to tell you a bit about one of my friends, Colin Patton, from Ipswich, England. He's a dear friend of mine. Colin Patton grew up in a normal English home family. His mom and daddy separated when he was a teenager. He did tell me, he said, my daddy had enough sense not to get remarried till after we boys had left home. But he said, I hated my dad. I hated him. We didn't talk with each other. We grunted at each other. And by the way, he told me he doesn't care if I use his stories it can help anyone. But dear Colin Patton was angry with his dad and and angry at life, and he began to drink. He said, there was a point in my life that I could not function without a a good level of alcohol in my system. One day, on the job, Colin Patton had an accident. It was right at that time that he had his first child. And he said, he told me, he said, I knew that if the pattern was not going to continue exactly like I experienced, something had to change. He took his five, well, at that time he just had the one daughter. But he began to change his life. His wife was a very, very patient and and understanding woman. She became a believer as well. And Colin gave his heart to the Lord. Now, I do understand, I do know that he, was, he never was able to kind of shake Catholicism, which was, was, was not good. But he was a believer. And he moved to Ireland. And in his search for truth and for something better, he found out about the Mennonites in Dunmore East. So he took his family to our community there. We visited their home before they moved one time. And those girls were so, so protected and sheltered that they could not even look, to, look at you in your eyes. He brought them to our community. Dear Colin and I would sit down many and many a time and talk about the future of his family. And one night I distinctly remember distinctly sitting on, on the couch beside Colin. And we began to talk about the future of our families. And and I was burdened as well with mine. And, and, And we began to talk about vision. What is vision? And Colin was a deep thinker. He studied and read deeply. And this is what he said. This is what vision is for me. Giving the future our immediate attention vision, giving the future our immediate attention. Jehonadab understood that if there was going to be a difference made in his family, he must do something about it now, today. Fathers and mothers, we cannot wait to see what it's all going to be like in 30, 40 years from now and see how it all turns out. We need to do something today to make a difference for tomorrow and the years to come. Vision giving the future our immediate <laughs> attention. Jehanada Jeb goes back to his home, back to his family, and let's now go back to our text, Jeremiah 35. Jehonadab goes back and he draws some lines for his home and his family. And I would like to say tonight that I'm not going to talk about thus saith the Lord tonight. I'm going to talk about principles. Is that okay? Principle. Principle. Godly people live by principles, don't they? We live by principles. And that's exactly what this man was doing. He was he was setting up values, principles that he felt were good for his family. Now, I just, I just like to look at some of these and, and see what they might say to us tonight as fathers and mothers as it relates to to our homes and our families. It was Jeremiah 35 was a dark period, a time in the history of Israel. And the Rechabites were at Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar had moved in. And so they had had moved towards Jerusalem for perfection. And that's why they were there. And that's why we find Jeremiah 35 in the way that we do here. So rule number one was drink no wine. Drink no wine. Now, not drinking wine was not something that Jehu was disregarding, or it was not something that, that, that was the Lord had commanded that they were not to do. This was a principle that was higher than not drinking wine. There was something, there was something behind this. Jeremiah says, I set the wine before you. It's on the house. It's on me. Drink wine. And they say, no, we will not drink wine. In verse 6, but they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, he shall drink no wine neither ye nor your sons forever. What might be the principle here? May I suggest tonight that the principle is self-discipline. Self-discipline. Temperance. Self-discipline. Jehonadab may have known or may have understood that if his sons and daughters began to drink wine, they they might do it excessively and become drunk. Self-discipline. Fathers and mothers, I dare say tonight that if faith is going to be passed on to the next generation, we must be a people of self-discipline. Temperance. Not overboard one direction or the other direction, but a people who are self-disciplined. The Bible talks about abstaining from all those things that even appear evil. Self-discipline. The sweet psalmist of Israel. And I do not glory in the psalmist's mistakes at all. But there were some areas in the psalmist David's life that were undisciplined. You see, he already had five wives. What does he do? He has a man murdered so he can have another wife. Undisciplined. What did his son's son do? How many wives did he have? You see the principle? Undiscipline. It's important that we live lives of self-discipline if faith is to be passed on to the next generation. Let's look at rule number two now. In verse seven. Neither shall you build houses. Neither shall you plant vineyards. Plant vineyards. Rule number two, don't plant vineyards. And again, this is not something that was against the law of the Lord, not something that Jehu was disregarding. They were allowed to plant vineyards. In fact, Naboth was a godly man. He had a vineyard. You know the story. What's the point? Or what's, what's the principle here? The principle is Integrity. Now, how do you suppose that Jehonadab was going to explain to his sons and daughters that I don't want you to drink wine over here, but I'm going to produce wine over here. I'm going to have vineyards and produce wine because it's productive. It, is, it, is, it, it makes good business sense. And, and so why wouldn't we just have vineyards and produce wine? Is that integrity? Don't you drink wine. But I'll produce wine so others, so people can drink it. Don't think so. Truth declared must always be truth practiced. Someone has said if it's anything less than that, it's like trying to feed our sons and daughters poison in this hand and bread in this hand. Son, I want you to honor and to respect the authority of your teacher. But I, as a daddy, disregard the authority of my bishop, of my leaders, or the laws of the land. How can we pass faith to the next generations if there's not integrity? I think tonight of of a daddy that purchased a convenience store in a local town where we used to live. And in this convenience store, they sold products like tobacco. And church leadership, although this man would have never used that product, The church suggested that maybe, it's not wise, not a good witness, that he would sell tobacco at his store. He thought that was foolish. Because after all, for all these years, they've been selling tobacco at this store. And why should it be removed now? Because community people will just want that, that to be there. I don't need to tell you tonight the outcome of that man's family. Integrity. Integrity. It's so important, fathers and mothers, that we live lives of integrity if faith is to be passed on to the next generations. It's very important. Rule number three, again in verse seven, don't build houses, live in tents. What is that teaching? What's the principle here? The principle here, simply, I believe, is none other than simplicity of life. There was nothing wrong with the children of Israel building a house. That was not something that was commanded that they shouldn't do. But for Jonadab, Adab, he said, let's live in tents. Let's keep life simple. Let's live with simplicity. Let's remember, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, that we're only strangers and pilgrims in this life, and we're just on a journey. There's nothing wrong with building a new house. I I hope not. We built one for our family. But there's a principle. Live life simply. Don't, let's not allow our roots to become so deep that when God would call us to something other than right here at this nice mansion that we live in that we can 't say yes, Lord, I will do that we're strangers and pilgrims we 're just on a journey. live life with simplicity that 's a principle we do there never lose sight of rule. Number four. Verse 7. Sow no seed. Now well, that one is really interesting. Because sowing seed is there's nothing wrong with sowing seed. And I love sowing seed. What is the principle? The principle I believe, as I put myself in Jonadab's setting, was simply this, that there must be time for family togetherness. You see, the shepherds, they were out on the hillsides herding their sheep, the, the, the fathers were there, the sons were around them, and they had time to, to spend time together, to interact with each other, and, 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 and he, they were able to pass on their values to the next generation as they had family togetherness. Now, this is one that is dear to my heart, friends. We live in a world that is militating against family togetherness. And the enemy of, of, of the home, the godly home, knows that if he can just tear us apart and keep us from spending time together, quality time together, he can make inroads into our homes. Somehow, we must have platforms where we can have time together. Time together. If faith, is to be passed on to the next generation. I think of a German friend who came to me one day and he said something like this. He said, what can we do? Our sons and daughters are going the way of the world at the age of about 14. You see, in Germany, there is a law that says that at the age of 14, you cannot dictate or you cannot encourage a child to go to church anywhere. That's their decision. And at the age of 14, out they go. Out they go. Out they go. He was burdened. And I asked that dear brother, I said, how much time do you spend as a family at the table together? And he had to think a bit and he said, well, maybe one meal a week. And I said, that's not enough. Your family's too scattered. You're going to have to have some kind of a platform where you can spend time together to pass values on to the next generation. It has been said that in this country, the average child spends about 12 and a half minutes a day in communication with, parent, with a parent, and eight of those minutes are in argument. That gives you four minutes. Of good dialogue. How could we ever pass faith on to the next generation if that's our home? It won't happen. If I could take you tonight to Bunratty Castle, just off of the shores of Western Ireland. This is a royal castle where royal families live. We would go up on the second floor of that castle. There's a large table up there. Large table. Family table. On the engraving on the one side of those legs of that table, you would find a mother holding a baby. Holding a baby. And you ask the tour guide, what does that mean? Why is that there? And he or she would tell you, that represents love. Then he'd take you on the other side of the table, and on the other side of the table engraving on those legs, you would find Engrave it on those legs and anchor. What does that represent? Tour guide would tell you that represents hope. And then you would ask the question, where's faith? Where's faith? We have love, charity. We have hope. Where's faith? The tour guide said, that's what happens when the family sits around the table And mom and daddy, one generation, is passing faith on to the next generation. Family togetherness. I don't know who would have ever tried to discover this, but it's been said that the average child, by the time they reach the age of 15, they ask their parents 500,000 questions. And dear fathers and mothers, I want to tell you tonight, there's the door. There's the window. You get into their hearts. They've asked us questions. Now, sometimes we don't always have time to answer those questions. And maybe sometimes those questions aren't necessarily fair questions, but they are a window into the hearts of our children. Daddy, tell me, tell me, why? Why is that young man so happy? What? Why does it just seem like he enjoys life? There you are. Because choices he's made in life. But why is it, Daddy, that that, that girl, she struggles, she just hates life? There it is. It's to so many things I'd like to talk about tonight yeah. but I just want to encourage you But there's these these disorders that we talk about, ODD, CD, ADHD, RAD, DAD, NDD, and, and the list might go on, and I don't want to make a light of it tonight. But but is that what God wants for our homes and families? A lot of disorder. No, I don't think so. The last one that I've I've come across is NDD. What what is that? Nature deficient disorder. Where did that come from? You see, our, our, our children have left the treehouse. They've left the sandbox. They went to, you know, electronics. So now they call it a nature-deficient disorder. D-A-D, detachment-deficient, sorry, disinhibited attachment disorder. That spells DAD. Do you see what that's saying? Disinhibited attachment disorder. What what does it mean to inhibit something? It means to bring it under control. And there's a message in itself. Discipline in our home. I would just encourage you, as fathers and mothers. i just blessed with how reverently your children are sitting here tonight. That's that's a blessing. There's, there's, There's something happening in a home. I can see it. God bless you. Continue in that. Spend time with your children. Jonathan Edwards. Immediately, you think of a man that was a powerful preacher. Right? He was. What was his wife's name? Most people don't know I think her name was Elizabeth, if I'm not mistaken. Did they have any children? Yes. They had ten children. They had ten children. And after about 150 years, the state of New York did a research and a study of the Edwards family. And this is what they found. That of those ten children, after five generations, there were 729 descendants. 300 preachers, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authors, three congressmen, and one vice president. At the same time, they did a study, the state of New York did a study of two brothers, Max Duke and his brother, and they had married sisters, and there were 1,026 descendants from those two boys, two families, and they were not a godly family, and this is what they discovered from those from from those two families was that there were 300 early deaths because of a hard life, 140 spent an average of 13 years in prison, and 190 public prostitutes, 100 alcoholics, and cost the state of New York $1.2 million. That was only on this side of eternity. Can you imagine what the difference is going to be in all of eternity? May God help us. As we continue to labor in our homes with our families, let's live by principles, godly principles, so that values, godly values, can be passed on to the next generation.